Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Almighty God, may our thoughts on your word this morning be guided by your wisdom and your will, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Searching for evidence. Belief is an interesting concept. It establishes a framework for how we see the world and can even affect what we perceive in the world. Beliefs lead us to attribute certain causes for events that take place, sometimes correctly, sometimes not. And they can prevent us from seeing other events that occur but are not explained by our current system of beliefs. For example, at one point in time, it was commonly believed that many illnesses could be cured by bloodletting, draining blood from a patient, based on a faulty set of beliefs related to how the human body was supposed to work. Now, as modern medicine evolved, discoveries were made that changed the beliefs about the human anatomy, and more effective ways of treating illnesses were developed based on new systems of belief. Similarly, there are many things that happen in the world which would simply are being missed because we never expected them to occur based on our current set of beliefs. As we continue to develop a better understanding of the world we live in, we become more aware of those events that are happening but we're just missing. As we can see, beliefs are also very powerful. Unfortunately, some people try to manipulate the beliefs of the general population in order to motivate them to take certain political stances or support government actions. It's been widely reported, for example, that Vladimir Putin has promoted the belief in the Roman populace and the Russian populace that the Ukrainian government is comprised of Nazis in order to garner support for the military action that he's initiated in Ukraine. Clearly, this is a false narrative, but it has been believed enough in Russia by the general public to support the ongoing war that, he, that it was started. So beliefs are obviously very powerful, and it's worthwhile to frequently reflect on our beliefs and adjust them when necessary. In our passage today, we see how the belief systems of the early disciples was challenged and changed by Christ. While the disciples had gathered in a room with the door locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus appeared to them. He greeted them by saying, peace be with you. Then he showed his hands and his side to them. Apparently they needed this evidence, the evidence of his injuries and his hands and his side, before they could believe that it was really him. Although Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus earlier that day and reported to the disciples that he was alive, they couldn't fully accept the idea that Jesus had been resurrected. Something like that wouldn't have made sense with their current system of beliefs. I mean, people don't normally show up walking around after they've been crucified and buried for three days. I think hesitance would be expected response from anyone then or now. And it would take a while to mentally digest seeing Jesus resurrected. After greeting the disciples, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now there is something more to the story 
than simply changing their personal beliefs. Jesus breathed into them the spirit from God that has God's own understanding of reality, molding and shaping and guiding them as it continues to do for us today as we allow it. Just as we read about God breathing life into Adam in chapter 2 of Genesis, we see Jesus breathing new life into these first disciples through the Holy Spirit. This is a life born of the Spirit that allows one to see the kingdom of God as Jesus explained to the Pharisee Nicodemus in chapter 3 of this Gospel of John. The disciples now have a very different system of beliefs and a different way of understanding the world. As they were receiving the Holy Spirit, Jesus said to them, as we saw in Scripture, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I think it's worthwhile to consider this statement very carefully. In chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches, do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. So the statement made by Jesus when he gave the disciples the Holy Spirit was not a license to personally judge the rest of the world. Instead, I think it was a statement to speak out to the world as the Spirit guides us. Call out the injustices we witness and offer encouragement to those who need compassionate support. Earlier in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, Jesus explains his understanding of judging. When he was confronted by the Pharisees, he said, You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Ultimately, judgment is left up to God. But we should respond to the call of the Spirit if we are led to speak up. These early disciples were not given special authority to judge the world. They were encouraged to live by their new understanding of the world as it had been given them by Christ. Next, the story shifts to describe how the beliefs of Thomas were challenged. Thomas wasn't present when Jesus first appeared to the other disciples. Again, like most people, Thomas was reluctant to believe Jesus had been resurrected based on someone else's experience. Just like the other disciples who didn't believe Mary Magdalene when she told them about seeing Jesus after he had been resurrected, Thomas didn't believe the report from the other disciples. However, about a week later, after this first encounter with the risen Christ, Jesus appeared again to the disciples. But this time, Thomas is with them. Notice in the story that there are some subtle differences in the second encounter in the setting. This time there is no mention of the disciples feeling fear. And the doors to the room are simply shut. They're not locked. The disciples seem to view the world differently at this point, 
Apparently, their beliefs have changed in a way that gave them greater peace and acceptance of their situation. When Jesus appeared, Scripture tells us he directly approached Thomas. In response to the claims made by the other disciples regarding the first encounter with the resurrected Christ, Thomas stated he wouldn't believe them unless he could see the marks on Jesus for himself and personally touched the wounds in Jesus's hands and side. So Jesus led him. Jesus showed Thomas his hands and his side and invited him to touch his wounds so that he would believe. Jesus gave him everything he asked for and then said, do not doubt, but believe. Thomas's response is one of the most succinct Yet profound pronouncements in the gospel. My Lord and my God. Thomas's belief system was just radically changed in that moment. Although Thomas is often criticized as the doubter, as if nobody else did, he fully and completely accepted Jesus as the risen Lord and Son of God. The consequence of his paradigm shift is evident not only in his statement that he made to Jesus in this moment, but also in how he lived his life afterwards. As we noted earlier, our beliefs motivate us to live our lives in certain ways. And the new beliefs of Thomas drove him to preach the gospel over thousands of miles until he was eventually martyred. He is thought to have traveled and preached broadly through the area of the world we know today as India, where he started a Christian community on the southwestern coast and continually traveled east to the Bay of Bengal. His experience with the risen Christ had a tremendous impact on him. But what about those of us who aren't given the option of physically seeing Jesus and touching his wounds? How are we expected to believe? Jesus knew this would be a situation for most of his future followers. When Thomas announced, my Lord and my God, Jesus replied, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Jesus was not criticizing Thomas so much as he was highlighting the great gift of belief and faith that millions of people would experience over 2,000 years without physically seeing the risen Christ. People have experienced the risen Christ in many different ways over that period, but the physical appearance of Jesus apparently stopped for the most part after his ascension. People have given their witness of how Christ has come to them and worked in their life and their stories along with scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit has kept the Christian faith alive in the hearts and minds of people around the world for 2,000 years and plus. But the critical ingredient in maintaining a faithful belief comes to us through the grace of God. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of Matthew, when Peter exclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, as told by Peter, the one only apostle at that time to see that. 
Jesus explains to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Apparently, no one can simply just tell us that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, the Son of God, and we will actually get it. That didn't work for the first disciples, and it usually doesn't work for us. We must have the truth of Jesus revealed to us by God. And that revelation comes as an experience. We experience Christ in nature, in music, in the laughter of children, in the beauty of a blooming flower, in the depth of prayer and reading of scripture, in service to others, in the giving or receiving of an act of kindness. And through the Holy Spirit, we are able to recognize that what we are perceiving is from God. There is a knowing that we are given which allows us to attribute that love that we find in those moments to the risen Christ. Our belief system is somehow changed in that experience so that we can correctly understand the true nature of our reality. There are things that we may have missed because of previous faulty beliefs that can become suddenly perceptible. We can start to sense the subtle nudge of the Spirit in our daily walk, find a new recognition of generosity and compassion around us, and see the beauty in the world that comes with knowing the peace of Christ. This is a gift that is offered by God, yet must be received. Meaning, God is continuous, continuously extending the offer for us to be in relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we must make a personal decision to accept that offer. And as we do accept it, I think our belief systems change. This isn't a, a single step process where we suddenly have a full revelation of, of all divinity in one moment. But it's more like a series of discoveries that we find throughout our journey of life. We may sometimes lose our place on that path and need to reconnect with God, and that's okay. Through grace, we are given those extra chances. So I encourage you today to reflect on your beliefs and consider how you may want to grow closer to God. With a deeper relationship to God, we are given more spiritual revelations that help us to understand the world better. And although we may not be able to explain our faith and beliefs completely in the same concrete terms as modern science, we gain an intuitive understanding of the divine that provides ample evidence that Christ is risen. And with God's blessing, we too will be able to proclaim when we encounter the risen Christ with complete unequivocal conviction, my Lord and my God.